This is a Fubar Radio podcast. Go to fubarradio.com for more details. Fubar Radio presents. Fubar Radio presents politics on Fubar. Good afternoon and welcome to Politics on FUBAR. It's Asa Bennett here. Now, today we're going to be talking about a topic that I first was uh, going on to you about the first time I was on these uh, airwaves. Brexit. That's right. It's back in business. Obviously, after this week, with you know all sorts happening in the Brexit process, the Great Repeal Bill, which now no longer is great, officially speaking, nor is it called a repeal bill anymore. Yeah, that's come out, which uh, it's, it's called a very dry name. The European Union, open brackets, withdrawal, close brackets, bill. No withdrawal method jokes here, please. Now, instead, the, this simply is meant to be something, and, you know, try, don't worry, I'm going to try and stay awake while I'm sort of saying about, talking about this, that promises the following. It will repeal the, the 1972 European Communities Act. You may think, what the hell is that? Well, it's codifies uh, why everything to do with the EU membership. It is the reason this is the law that means we are EU members. So if you take that out, suddenly the membership's gone. This is almost a... This is why the bill is so integral to the process. And then afterwards, you, well, what all these other laws? Well, you copy and paste for every single EU law that's come out. Everything from Brussels will be put onto British statute books. And from that point, you're thinking, God, this is a great... Uh, you know, loads of laws. Now, what is this? We're taking back control, surely. Why are we taking on even more regulation. Well, this is the fun bit for Brexiteers, because then they can get the axe out and hack away at whatever they need without worrying about what Brussels thinks, without worrying about sort of European safeguards and all the rest. And so this is why the bill, for all its uh, not very exciting sounding name, it's going to be perhaps one of the biggest fights in the Brexit process, one of the biggest fights over the next few months in Parliament, because uh, Labour, they've said that they are worried and that it seems to be too big a move in that for the purpose of uh, putting so many laws across into British statute books, it's going to require these special powers to do it very quickly and easily so they can make changes that date back to when Henry VIII was king. So Henry VIII powers, they're called. And they're worried, thinking, hang on, this is a kind of a... You're being able to pass law by fiat like a kingly wave saying this will happen, we change this so it is so a bit problematic, you know. What about what about how much deregulation are we going to do? Is this going to mean that we're some sort of you know, sort of hellhole that is uh, the pariah of Europe if you're having to get standards so low. And so this is why they're threatening to wreck it, in a sense. And then well, the ministers say, by contrast, hang on, if you wreck this, this is a, such an important part of the Brexit process that if we haven't even put this into law by March 2019, we're in a very dark place indeed, because then, you know, the, the rules, it's a sort of wasteland, in a sense, of interpretation as we decide what we go with. Because even some of the laws, actually, they do, they would argue, need to change them very quickly, because they will have curious things that won't make sense anymore if you have to try and interpret them in Britain. Like, hang on, the sort of European Commission will decide on these things. What, really? Do you mean the British Commission? Or sort of, they have to copy and paste, basically, and change and find and replace control there, for if you wish, on the Word document, where it says British uh, or European, and put it in the other one instead. This is the process. It sounds so um, sort of accountant-like and so sort of bureaucratic, yes, but welcome to the excitingness of Brexit. In the meantime, though, there's lots of shouting to be had, lots of debates anyway. We'll try and make sure it's sort of loose and interesting on this show nonetheless, um, given that Oh, I'm happy to say that we we're going to have an extended interview later with Stanley Johnson, the former MEP, uh, bumbling spy at one point he's written about, you know, trying to be a sort of a part of MI6 and you know, whoops a daisy, here we go. Now he's sort of had a very interesting life, though, this man, because also um, he is better known as the, you know, the paterfamilias, the father of Boris Johnson, now Foreign Secretary, and the rest of the Johnson brood, Rachel, Leo, and I think there's Joe Johnson as well, who's also a minister in the government. Um, and he's actually got a new 
new book out called Kompromat, which is uh, the Russian word for compromising material, dirt, all that sort of stuff. You may remember it being heard, I mean, it being said back when uh, Donald Trump was accused in reports of being subject to a sort of fascinating Kompromat file with allegations suggesting he may have got some interesting business, to put it politely, in a hotel in Moscow and with uh, ladies of the night and all that. But that's sort of clearly that's apparently fake news. So I'm obviously not going to touch it anymore, but you know, people, there may be allegations that you know Christopher Steele was involved with some dossier, and so it's a very murky world indeed. I'm sure that, you know, Stanley would be just the man to talk about it. And after that, we'll just be debating the key question. If you had another vote tomorrow, who would, who would you vote for? Would you vote for Britain to remain or leave in the European Union? Now, we put that question um, out on Twitter recently, and the results have been coming in thick and fast. Unlike the 52-48 split that the nation had last year, instead we've got a you know massive majority for Remain, you know, because there's people saying you know, Remain, too much effort, 57%. And then 36 you know, sort of a, well, a smaller majority. We're talking just, actually, sorry, just 26%, you know, not, not even razor thin this, for leave, fuck the Ramonas, you know, okay, so there are Brexiteers among you listening. And then finally, 5% saying, I'm never voting again, and the rest of you just saying, I'm voting for Canberra and Love Island. Well, you know, that's a good, yeah, good, good policy, maybe. Because after all, Love Island seems to be, you know, a show now that, um, you know, is being sort of ITV are looking at selling it for possibly around £1 billion, according to reports, which is about the price of, you know, 10 DUP MPs. But, you know, there we are. I mean, maybe you might find a sequel with DUP MPs on their own sort of Love Island or something. But I, look, you may be thinking, this man's monologuing too much. I need to weigh in. By all means, do. So you can make sure to do so if you tweet at FUBAR Radio or email uh, politics at FUBARradio.com. But... First, I'm happy to say coming up next, I'll be reviewing this week's headlines with Hannah Jewell, and we'll be speaking to her after this short break, though. Fubar Radio presents Access All Areas. So, darling, it's been a, it's been a mad week of showbiz. Do yeah. you like Ascot? I love it. Oh, you love it? Are you surprised by that? I was. I love seeing the awful Why are you hats? looking at me when you're saying awful? <laughs> uh, one year I got compared to the bird on Sesame Street. Big bird. Was not happy. <laughs> but this hat has given me, honestly, a dent in my head. Oh, it killed. And I remember saying my head was throbbing and then I got this big lump on my head. It weighed three stone, this hat. <laughs> Stone. Seriously, it's given my car a punctured tyre. I had to put it in the boot. It weighed it down. Every Thursday, access all areas. From 6pm, FUBAR Radio. All right, welcome back to FUBAR Radio. Politics on FUBAR here, and I've got Hannah Jewell in the studio. Welcome. Hello. You know, now, Hannah is the author of the book 100 Nasty Women of History, former journalist at BuzzFeed, and now she's uh, going to go off to the Washington Post. I'm off to the Washington Post, but in the meantime, I'm just editing my book, which is the worst thing I've ever done. The work of out. the author. Well, at least you've got time to read news in the meantime, yes, too. Yes, a little of, bit. And so for that, we've got a, a whole glut of headlines. And by the way, if you're wondering when is this book out, 100 Nasty Women of History, it's in November. Very uh, good. You know, in, yeah. Yes, all, all, good, is, all good bookstores. This is That's excellent. I hope so. Well, yeah. you know, as soon as it's finished. Only the best ones. Only the best ones. Um, and then, uh, speaking of nasty women, I, obviously that <laughs> oh, was no. inspired uh, by as, as a term by Donald Trump during the debates. Yes, in his last, um, his very last debate with mm. Hillary Clinton called uh, Hillary Clinton such a nasty woman and then all the women of the world were like woo that's me so this was um, I had been wanting to do a funny women's history for a while and this was just like thank you for handing me uh, I mean, the are title you, are you allowed to give a sneak preview of the women that are in it um, my f- so is there I have a biography a of you involved? Oh yes, like, I was yeah, thinking yeah. in the in the in one long dark night of the soul. I thought maybe I should in fact just do the last ten of people I know, me and my mates. But mm. um, I um, 
it's a combination of women who are nasty in the sense of being quite murdery in history and a lot of like ancient murderers. Sort of not Medea, but like kind of like my one of my favorite women in the book is um, a Chinese empress, Empress Wu, um, from um, hundreds of years ago, who did a lot of great murdering and cutting up of her enemies and drowning them in wine. So it's that kind of nasty. Hmm. But also, it's just women who are more recently activists and civil rights activists and women's rights activists who are called nasty for the wrong reasons. So I'm Hmm. not sure where MP Anne Marie Morris. Would fall on this spectrum. She probably would not quite make the cut. I mean, it was a nasty turn of phrase she used. It was. Um, It was. It was nasty. Another word of sorts. Yes, Yes. it was. Um, I just can't believe when I saw this story. I mean, you never think you're going to be surprised nowadays looking at the news alerts on your phones, but. Mm. just thinking, why is it not a bare minimum for someone in government to have expunged such a word, for it to have been there in the first place? Because she's not that old. We can't do the, oh, this is an old person, they don't know what they're saying defense. Yeah. Um, she's uh, 60, I believe, which isn't too... Yeah, know, but yeah, like, yeah. so is my mom. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, <laughs> and you'd be kind better. of surprised if she said that too. I would, I would. And um, she's not a politician. She she's she's not meant a to be responsible. <laughs> you know. Anne-Marie Morris is meant to be someone who, you know, sets an example for society. And I, what I hated about the defense of it saying like, oh, just a slip of the tongue and on intentional thing but how deeply does your racist terminology have to be embedded within your soul for it to accidentally slip up and for Mm. you to have to train yourself not to do it publicly and I saw that it is uh, being considered that she will return to the Tory party within three months I think that was a telegraph yes yes do do you think it's appropriate though in about three months I mean it's it's what it is is it shows the situation that Theresa May is in um, in having what is are they down without her to a 12 mm, 12 a majority, 12 it's majority very and saying um, and not being able to from their point of view having no choice but to eventually let her back in um, which is I mean, uh, strong and stable government to her it's credit been, though yes. she, uh, you know, Theresa May did at least n- not try and dig in for days and say well actually you know oh well that case. would have yeah. been yeah. I mean that yeah. I mean one yeah. very small pat on the back for that for, for yes. doing the obvious <laughs> things with um, which I guess is the most we can hope for nowadays. No, of course. It, and obviously, so. if you look at, um, one would say, by conversely, nasty men. I mean, Ken Livingston, when he was, yes. uh, well, he was eventually, I believe, suspended for like a year or something, a much longer yes. period. But that obviously, he was being a bit sort of malignant and unrepentant with the whole, like, now I said that, you know, He Hitler, couldn't, you know, he couldn't hmm. stop. I actually did a game on... Um, Hitler for BuzzFeed, yes. I did it. It wasn't Hitler Bingo. I did a game which was how many times can you type the word Hitler... In like a minute or three minutes or something, oh, I because tried that. Yeah. he was doing, he was, uh, it was a test of typing skill, but also I, I think um, Ken Livingston remains unmatched. How many times skill. could you do that? I can't remember. I'm gonna have to, I'll take it again. And then How many I'll, times could Hitler do it, do you think? Um, God, yeah, that's a that's a question to be answered in my book. It's a philosophical <laughs> question, and then some, you know. But um, moving on smoothly from Hitler to Donald Trump, you know, some people <laughs> might sort of think, uh, you know, not, not very much of a subtle segue, I grant you. Um, Donald Trump Jr. Clearly, yes. um, fascinating. Uh, I, I can't laughing at the whole American habit of naming yourself after yourself and then putting Junior at the end. Oh, you know, okay, sort of yeah, but like British people are all called like Mr. Wigglesworth Braithwaite the third, and so like that's Jacob Rees-Mogg's seventh son. Yeah, that it? is. Yes, and yes. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but with Trump Junior, obviously, it's not his name that's interesting this time. Um, obviously, as, as uh, childish as I'm being, but the sort of instead him blundering into the Russian saga and the heat, he's feeling the heat he releases all the emails showing that he what, what is it exactly that, um, so the emails after I, I mean I, I felt for the journalist who had spent many months trying to pursue this story and then once Don Jr. Um, releases emails basically all of him arranging meetings with a Russian lawyer who mm. she now says she is not uh, a government lawyer um, in, basically he was in pursuit of, of evidence against 
Hillary Clinton of some form or another. Um, it seems to be that he did think she was a government lawyer, whether or not she actually is. Um, and it's funny because it's a thing that the whole family has been hmm. denying, denying, denying. And then he goes, surprise, here it is. And I think it was because the New York Times was just about to publish this anyway. Yes, it's so, their own damage control in yeah, a sense. Damage yeah. control in the sense of damaging, of punching yourself in the face before anyone else can in, hmm. in that style. Um, and what I love is Trump, uh, Trump Sr.'s... Um, his his uh, de- coming to the defense of his son, calling him a, uh, he says, uh, my son is a high quality person, and I applaud his transparency. I love hmm. the like a high quality person, like he's a like a like fine he's sort of MDF or something. He's know, like yeah. a delicious steak. Um, and uh, I think Trump had his Trump steaks brand at one point. Actually. Oh no, yeah, yeah. So he, it's he, the he only thing he, he could talk about steak if he needs to. It's well done. Like, it is. Yeah. He only eats well done steaks, and it's kind of ruined steak for me, by the way. But um, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, well, it's, just, it's well, the great tragedy of our age. I'm sure. Uh, well, I mean, in that case, oh, with, with, with speaking of the Russian, obviously, I realise that there's a whole endless fascination in politics these days about it. You know, and, and the people clearly thinking, you know, so why do people have so much problems replying to emails from apparent Russian linked folks saying, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll meet them. Yeah, really great. <laughs> well, he yeah. says he. He thought he was doing opposition research. I think that um, he. I. I just think it's funny. The the actually having a meeting with a Russian lawyer feels like the least absurd part of this whole incredible uh, pageantry that we are all experiencing right now. Definitely, I'm um, sure this story is going to run and run. Although I'm afraid that I may have to wind it up now. But thank you so much, Hannah, oh, for the high you. quality chat. Yes. and uh, you know, from a high quality person. Oh, and thank so, you. Um, yeah, I look forward to when your book's out. Yes, buy um, my book, November second. Exactly, that was Hannah Joel, the the hundred first nasty woman on, oh, on the book, you. perhaps unofficially. Now, thank you very much. So, uh, coming up next, well, I've got the delight also to welcome to the studio uh, Mr. Stanley Johnson. Um, as soon as you hear his voice, you may recognise a certain uh, Johnson familiarity, in a sense, in his timbre and the tones, and he's a very interesting man. And so, uh, But before I do that, let me just tease you with um, hearing about what Theresa May has to say and the rest of the politicians about how Brexit will pan out, what it bodes for us all. I want us to be a truly global Britain the best friend and neighbour to our European partners, but a country that reaches beyond the borders of Europe too. A country that goes out into the world to build relationships with old friends and new allies alike. It's important for everybody to remember on this day that in the referendum on the European Union, the people of Scotland voted by 62% to remain in the European Union. British people made the decision to leave the European Union and Labour respects that decision. Mr Speaker, this happened two years after Scottish voters were told that they had to vote no to Scottish independence to remain in the European Union. Yet ironically, ironically, this is exactly what will happen now because of the majority elsewhere in the United Kingdom, its will being imposed on the people of Scotland. We will all uh, regain a power that this country has not been able to deploy for 44 years, and that is the ability to conclude free trade agreements. And, and of course, the first and most important of those deals will be with our friends and partners in the European Union, uh, because, as the Prime Minister has repeatedly said, we are leaving the EU, but we are not leaving uh, Europe. And to those who seriously doubt that we can pull it off in the next two years, so let me just remind the essential, uh, remind them of the most essential point that this is profoundly in the interests. <laughs> of our friends and partners on the other side of the channel who have a massive net balance of trade uh, with us. Uh, They are optimistic. They are determined. I sometimes wish uh, we could have a little bit more of the same spirit from the party opposite. I have been clear that the deep and special partnership we seek 
is in the best interests of the United Kingdom and of the European Union too. I have been clear that we will work constructively in a spirit of sincere cooperation to bring this partnership into being. And I have been clear that we should seek to agree the terms of this future partnership alongside those of our withdrawal within the next two years. And welcome back. Yes, so that was the views of the politicians on all things Brexit. And I have the father of one of the key politicians who's shaping the form of Brexit here in the studio, Mr. Stanley Johnson. Welcome. Well, delighted to be here. Ah, yes. Now, you've got a splendid new book, which I know you launched last night, um, Compromat, we can show to the camera. Uh, this being of a very sort of rollicking read, in a sense, of uh, Russian intrigue. I tell you, I, I said to myself, how can it be? Hmm thinking of what was going on in the United States and the apparent involvement of the Russians in the evolution of the American political campaign there, including the election of Donald Trump, I said to myself, how can it be that the Russians weren't involved in the whole Brexit campaign? Because this mm. was a natural one, I said to myself, for the Russians. I mean, it's a, it's a clear gain for them to have you know, Britain coming out of the EU, to have the sheer chaos, mm. which is now apparent not just in Britain but I think in Europe too all the effort Europe is making to deal with the Brexit situation so I said well well hang on a moment maybe the Russians were involved hmm. you see what I mean so I then got back to constructing ex post if you like the thriller which we have which actually ends on June the 8th this year election June failure for the Prime Minister and she's back yes, yes but maybe an election Trump triumph for for, for the Kremlin. For the Kremlin. Yes, exactly. And I rather, you know, in a funny way, the idea came to me when I was in St. Petersburg for about three full days at a mm. meeting called by President Putin. I, I mentioned this right at the beginning mm. to save the world's tigers. And I thought, this is a guy who's such a star. He can do almost anything he wants. He got heads of state from all the countries around the world who had tigers. And I said, well, just imagine a situation where he and the American presidential candidate mm. are off there in the Russian Far East, and by chance, the American presidential candidate, who is obviously not called Trump, I call him Craig, I mm. call him Ronald Craig, gets shot in the backside by uh, the president of Russia, who's called Popov, not Putin, obviously. And He wants to pop someone off as such. Yes, <laughs> Popov. And, you know, gets pinned by a hypodermic dart because mm. they're trying to tranquilize the tiger. And maybe what if that hypodermic dart, you know, contained also a transmitting device? Anyway, it flows well, it's from a, there. It's an excellent plot in that flows sense. from there. Well, it goes but on. I'll tell you, I, I, my problem was I kept on fiction, kept mm. on being overtaken by reality. No, indeed. I think I'm worried that if, uh, if we, sort of, we could almost read, end up reading the book out loud right now, in a sense. But um, if I could bring you towards sort of fiction to real life. Um, with yeah, the, now, true. that... Um, with the EU referendum itself, it's fascinating when you're saying the, the parallels, because Ben Bradshaw, Labour MP for Exeter, who I'll be later interviewing in the oh, show... Oh, well, that's interesting. He said it was highly probable Russia had uh, wanted to interfere with the referendum. Yes. Now, he didn't, He made that remark, I think, in the House of Commons. Hmm. Um, I haven't never heard him sort of pursue it, or maybe I haven't pursued it. He wants the government to inquire into this, actually. Well, I think it'd be a very good idea. If the government did, and they might they might come up with a kind of... The my theory, according hmm. to this book, as you may uh, get to get to grips is actually it's a very deep Brexit is a very deep deep laid pot by the British Prime Minister who's not obviously called David Cameron he's called Jeremy Hartley hmm. but he's a patriot this guy and deep down you see he wants Britain to leave I mean I said to myself looking back on it how could it be that a chap who was a careful politician as Cameron was mm -hmm. could actually include 
the commitment to have a referendum in the Conservative Manifesto or in the Bloomberg speech about a year well, it was before. so breezily confident didn't realise yeah. you know. well no no you but see then, that's where I go back if I could this just ask one gone. question more on Russia then you were saying that there probably should be an investigation uh, into the Russian interference do you think it's likely they were interfering or they, were, they had an interest uh, I said when I first answered your question I found it amazing mm. to imagine that a man as clever and as able and as well resourced as Putin didn't take all the opportunities to intervene in Brexit, which he obviously did take mm. in the case of Trump. And this book, of course, covers not trust, not just Britain, but Trump mm. as well. So, yes, I think that I'm absolutely sure if we dug deep, we would uncover some nuggets. Now, whether they're the nuggets which I have uncovered in my imagination, oh, I can't tell. But you understand the mindset of the Russians mindset, and how they... Why on earth? I mean, this is, this is a win-win situation. It costs almost nothing to destabilise um, Britain in this in this way. I mean, n nothing at all. Hmm. Now, of course, when we get down to it, there have been investigative journalists, um, probably also from the Times, but certainly from the from the Guardian. There's a lady called Carol Cadwallader hmm. who's written some long stuff about the some funding, dark money, yeah, dark yeah. money, and the funding of agencies. I think one is called Cambridge Analytica, and the other is called Intelligence, something rather hmm. funded actually by an American. I think his name was Mercer or something like that. Hmm. Well, okay, that doesn't give you the. Have Russian. you brought this up with your son? He was a vote leave man so um, he's a fine he's a fine man and absolutely right and he you know he is um i'm absolutely sure completely on top mm. on top of this and of course he's not only in charge of um the foreign office he's in charge of mi6 and he's in charge of gchq mm. um well look i don't want anybody to get too uh, too excited about this this is only a thriller mm. this is only a thriller. i'm not making a political point i'm not saying yes. Brexit shouldn't happen. I'm not saying it should have happened. But just I'm imagine the fun of Russia, you know, sort of cackling away as they uh, see the state that Britain is in, in this scenario. Away. Well, yes. I mean, and he does cackle. Mm. He does cackle. And in fact, um, I have a situation right at the end of the book where Mrs. Mrs. May mm. is announcing she's going to be calling um, the June 8th election. And Putin is actually checking off the, the draft text on his, you know, on his iPhone in front of him. Yes, you mm. got that right. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad that's the text she sent me in advance mm. and so on and so forth. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I had an advance. I don't mean she sent me in advance. He had, he had the text. Because you've got to assume hmm. that basically they know what's going on. Oh, yes. But then if I, if I can appeal to another book I know you've written. You, you wrote two series. One, uh, Stanley, I Presume, and Stanley, I Resume. That's it's about it. you, your life, the family. Indeed it um, was. But can I ask then about the, the impact as a, as a family man? It was a sort of vibrant, uh, intelligent people, the Johnsons, who were all on various sides of the Brexit divide. You had Rachel, who was from Remain, I believe, and so much so she joined the Liberal Democrats. Yeah. Um, well, she did. I think they made quite a, you know, quite a fuss. I mean, how's the family? Are Sunday lunches awkward no. or no? Well, we were, we were all together last night. I can tell you, all hmm. together at the launch of this book. Um, look, there have been plenty of political families where, where, who have taken, hmm. where people in the families have taken different political perspectives. I mean, think hmm. of the think of the Foot family, for example. You had Hugh Foot, you had Michael Foot. You had Dinglefoot, hmm. you know these these are well, people all of all of whom came out of the different yes. origins. I can't think of that matters too much. Um, yes, okay, you know. Is there a Johnson consensus on Brexit at least? A sort of cautious optimism, or uh, you know? Well, how is it? I don't think we could go so far as to say we have a Johnson consensus hmm. on this. I think we have a Johnson consensus on <laughs> that we are where we are. Yes, that we are where we are. Although. Although I think you could say that somebody who actually voted for the Lib Dems 
presumably hmm. Elmer would sign up to the Lib Dem, Dem, Lib Dem policy of having a second referendum. Hmm. Now, there is a little wrinkle here, because you could say, if as a result of this investigation which you were just talking about, people discovered, say the Electoral Commission discovered, that there really was, you know, Russian involvement or malfeasance or some, you know, something or other, hmm. then you could say to yourself, well, maybe actually... You know, this would be regarded as interference with the electoral process. Maybe the um, election, sorry, the referendum would be deemed to be null and void. Hmm. Or maybe the Electoral Commission would say it'll have to be rerun. Maybe our Supreme Court would say that. So, I mean, down the line, down the line, of course, the stakes are enormous, enormous. And, and you know, who knows? It might be jolly convenient for a prime minister, I don't know which one that would be, hmm. further down the line, to say, well, look, folks, I mean, we went into this referendum with good heart. Of course, we got the result, which we're all ready to respect. Hmm. But if it turns out that that result was actually um, caused by, you know, interference by foreign bodies and hmm. so on, well, might, well, it not be, might there not be a case uh, for rerunning the referendum? Surely there wouldn't be, a, be enough, though, because we had the, the second mandate, in a sense, of the general election. And uh, the lion's share of votes went to two parties, Labour and the Tories, who both committed to Brexit. Ah, oh, this is an interesting point. I think this is a very interesting point. Yes, it is true. If you add the two parties together mm. on that on that um, uh, on that election, you would get a mandate for for Brexit. But I tell you, even that mandate looks as though it's you know soft at the edges. Yes. I mean, I'm looking at I don't know how up to date we can be, but I'm looking at today's. You know, today's reaction mm, mm, of the Labour Party to the bill as laid yesterday, the the repeal bill. I see they've dropped the word great, great it's just repeal a, It's bill. just a repeal bill. <laughs> just just a repeal done. bill. Yeah, box standard bill. <laughs> box standard <laughs> repeal bill. Mm. Well, I'm interested by this because if you look at the, the, the areas where the Labour Party has said they're going to object, that mm. is pretty, these are pretty fundamental areas. So you have to say to yourself, well, fine, they got it in, the, in, the, in their manifesto, but mm. in practice, what they were saying yesterday doesn't lead one to suppose they are sound, sound, sound on the, mm. on the withdrawal. But then obviously, if, if they decide, if Britain decides it's all too much effort and oh, let's just stay in or something. That that's not, doesn't say very much for our nation's story if we're just too lethargic to do the grunt work, surely. Well, I think our nation's story um, is also a story of a pragmatic nation. Yes. And if at the end of all this negotiation we find doesn't make sense. that we are where we first started. Hmm. Do you remember that line from TSA? Like, we shall not cease from exploration, but the end of all our exploring will be to arrive at the place where we started hmm. and know it for the first time. I mean, it could be that that's where we get to. If, for example, just take immigration. Hmm. Immigration. Yes, it obviously was, by any token, one of the issues which caused people to vote for Brexit. Well, if the only impact um, is going to be that... You know, at the margin, we might be able to have some control over hmm. notional immigration, but the downside is is absolutely enormous in all other areas. You know, maybe that's not a gain worth the worth the. Although, fuss. can I get your thoughts on one policy area, actually? Because I think, as I recall rightly, you were part of the Environmentalists for Europe I during was the, the campaign. I was the founder and the co-chairman. Of so, with the new DEFRA secretaries, they've had a changeover recently. Andrea led some to Michael Gove. Are, are you pleased? Is Gove a man who? Is more understanding. I, I wrote a, a powerfully supportive argument on a, on a website called Politics Home, mm. saying it has to be good for the environment that a man of Gove's political stature takes on this job. Because, you know, mm. he's a heavyweight. We haven't had a heavyweight 
mm. you know, politician there for for a while. Obviously, we have had heavyweight politicians there in the past, mm. in the upsurge of their careers, like Heseltine in the eighties and so on. But yes, from that point of view, it has to be good. Although I did also in the same article said there's some things which Gove needs to be picked up on, like he uh, was a little bit wobbly on climate change. Mm. He's made some disobliging remarks about habitat protection and. You know, Mm. infractions and so on and so forth well you know he's going to have to be kept his nose is having to be kept at the grindstone that's for sure mm. but then how do, obviously so you rate Gove as environment secretary but how did you feel last year when he pulled the rug out from your son's leadership campaign uh, well I think I I, 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 I made a three word comment on the air I was in Greece at the time um, you can uh, say it you can say it now it, if you like yeah I will it was et tu brute mm. which is what I said which I'm sure you'll oh you'll indeed and, uh, but <laughs> there is the curiosity that that story and do you think that one day your Boris's time will come sort of that he will because he seems to be quietly laying low until 2019 very pragmatic man waiting till the Brexit deal's done now, I'm, you're just asking me this as a political commentator you're mm. a political commentator I'm a political commentator I would say but you know the man better than many people no I'd say at the present at the, at the present time this is not where we are I, I would I would say I mean I think Mrs May was a little bit exaggerated when she said in her article in the Sun yesterday, that you would have a few years, mm. you know, in in part. I think few years, maybe a little bit exaggerated, but I think you can certainly say that the for, for the foreseeable future, we have a prime minister, and and, and, and mm. you know, I mean, basically, she has taken the, uh, this this uh, task to heart, and I think she'll she, she'll set her mind to it. It it must be a pretty thankless task. I've mm. got to say, it's not one one would necessarily wish on any politician, but she's an honest lady. She's a a determined lady, and I think at this present stage, mm. between now and March 19th, 2019, I'm mm. sorry, March 29th, 2019, I can't think of an alternative than to go on the way we're going. Mm. Although, can I raise one quote with you? That uh, our former Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, in his new phase as uh, Evening Standard Editor, mm. claimed that um, Boris was on a, quote, permanent leadership campaign. Do, do you think there's a sort of irrepressible ambition in the man? Well, I very much doubt if anybody goes into politics any more than anybody goes into any career mm. without thinking about the next step in the in the ladder. Mm. When I was growing up, I was a class as it was called cursus honorum, mm. if you remember. You, you know, you were simply moving ahead. So, but frankly, anybody who goes into politics and doesn't think about where he or the country is going would be crazy. But I can't conceivably... Um, uh, no, I think you might well find... That a man of his enormous talents, I'm talking, talking now about Boris, who can, you mm. know, write, you know, uh, he can write books, he can write articles. Mm. By the way, he paints pretty well. I wouldn't have said that he would necessarily say, look, you know, 20 years in politics, 25 years, yeah, call it a day. There are plenty of uh, political, um, classical illusions. I mean, I think mm. probably. Fabius Cunctator comes to mind. Mm. Remember the chap who went off... You know, oh, isn't it all Cincinnatus? He's called from his plough, Boris, that, and he saves the nation in a time after yes. <coughs> That is the one I'm thinking of. Mm. Fabius Cunctator was the chap who... Cunctator means he's constantly delaying. Mm. Yes, I mean, Cincinnatus. Yes. Um, although, although I feel that it's a funny question, maybe, just because <coughs> that feels invidious, obviously, to talk about one of your, one yeah, of your sons so much. Of so Joe Johnson, good man, good he attracts man. a lot of chatter as well about being a man of good integrity and leadership. Is, is, he, is he as... <coughs> Capable for the top job, in your opinion? Obviously, the Johnson let me, brand. I tell you, let, 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 let's go back and talk about compromise. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine, yeah. There no, there's oh, no you don't Boris. rate Joe? 
I rate him. I rate him enormously. I'm a hmm. man who got a, a double first in in, in history. I mean, for right. sake, you know, this, these things count. On the other hand, Boris got the, you know won the Brackenbury, so these hmm. things count too. You probably won the Brackenbury yourself, Asa. Uh, not yet. I, I sort of can, can go back and see, but uh, <laughs> no. but nonetheless, so, uh, it's good to hear that you've got a good, sort of good uh, you know, a lovely book there out there, and among so twenty five new books. Uh, you've uh, authored I 25 have written twenty five books. Bravo. This is my twenty fifth book. This is the tenth novel. One of my novels is made in film, and I do mm. tell you that this is going to be filmed by Channel Four as a six-part TV series. Ah, exciting stuff! Well, I look forward to seeing that. Thank you very much, Stanley. Pleasure. Pleasure. Now, sort of coming up next, our studio debate on Brexit negotiations. We'll be joined by Julia Rampant from the New Statesman, Jem Collins, uh, Kaya, well, Kaya Burgess of the Times, and Philip Cundiff on the phone to answer the question: If you had another vote, would you vote for Britain to leave or remain in the European Union? And obviously, so much more questions involved. But first, let's hear from politicians outside the UK on their thoughts on Brexit. U.S. President Donald Trump stands by his position that Brexit was a good decision for the UK. We will be talking to your folks about Brexit. Brexit was uh, an example of what was to come. And I happened to be in Scotland at Turnbury cutting a ribbon when Brexit happened. And we had a vast amount of press there. And I said, Brexit, this was the day before, you probably remember, I said, Brexit is going to happen. And I was scorned in the press for making that prediction. I was scorned. And I said, I believe it's going to happen because people want to know who's coming into their country and they want to control their own trade and various other things. And lo and behold, the following day, it happened. And the odds weren't looking good for me when I made that statement because, as you know, everybody thought it was not going to happen. I think Brexit's going to be a wonderful thing for your country. I think when it irons out, you're going to have your own identity. And you're going to have the people that you want in your country, and you're going to be able to make free trade deals without having somebody watching you and what you're doing. The president of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker, says he respects the British public's decision. I, I'm deeply respecting the British people and the British uh, nation. We are not in an hostile mood when it comes to, uh, to Brexit, because I do think, and I do want, I do wish, to have with Britain in the next uh, decades uh, a friendly uh, relationship. But uh, saying that we should not be naive, I want to say that uh, we have to tackle the problems which are uh, ahead of us. And uh, I think that uh, we are best prepared uh, to do so. But we are not uh, in the best form and shape we could be in. And French President Emmanuel Macron has been open about his concerns regarding the EU. I think that the dynamics, the historical dynamic of Europe have always been about positive dynamism, about new projects, about willingness to go further and go forward. So my willingness to say, first, our current European Union is dysfunctioning. If we don't move forward, we will dismantle the Eurozone and, and, and the European Union. What I want to propose is a, new, is a series of new projects for the EU and for the Eurozone with a strong France. So I'm not a naive optimist, optimist but I, I do believe that we can have a new momentum if France is decided to reform itself and if we manage to convince the Germans and some others to move forward. Foobar Radio presents Sticky Blood. 
What were we talking about last time, Tom? Whether Jeremy Corbyn should be Prime Minister. Because a lot of shit's happened. I don't think it's over yet. The positive is that a lot of the extreme things that were in their manifesto... Have gone. Gone. Because she's realised people don't like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bollocks. I feel like she's full of shit. I feel like she knows now what to put on the front. She didn't know what to put on the front before. Whereas now she's like, oh, put that in the front window. I'm hearing like... Dirty. I'm hearing words like dirty. (laughs) Yeah. Dirty meetings. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dirty duppies. Dirty duppies. (laughs) Daily duppies. Every Monday, Sticky Blood from 6 pm. Fubar Radio. And welcome back to Fubar Radio. It's Asa Bennett here, and I've got a illustrious panel here with me in the studio. Uh, well, for debating Brexit in all its wonderful forms, hard, soft, however you like it. Um, so we've got Julia Rampen, the digital news editor of the New Statesman. Hello. Hello. And Kaya Bajess of the Times, the religious and re- religious affairs and general reporter. So that's right. Hello. And hello. I, thought, I thought a diarist as well, but maybe that's, I'm that's true, over, yeah. over talking about your brief. And finally, Jem Collins, the journalist and general, raconteur, and so much more. Um, and also Philip Cunliffe on the line, uh, the Senior Lecturer in International Conflict at the University of Kent. Hi. Ah, well now, so I don't know almost where to kick off really with Brexit. So Julia, um, how do you think um, we're looking after a year, it seems? We've been told Brexit means Brexit. What, is, is, what does it mean, really? Well, interesting. I, I was just editing a piece this morning by someone from UK and Changing Europe. It's a think tank very close to the civil service. Hmm. And they were saying, well, I think the most common um, consensus now is we're heading for a soft Brexit. The point is no one wants a soft Brexit. It doesn't suit people who want to leave the EU completely and have trade deals with the rest of the world. And it doesn't suit people who actually just want to stay in the EU. So we may end up with a solution that no one wanted in the first place. Mm. So it's a very, uh, no one's happy. And then we look back at the Vote Leave campaign like a cruel joke, in a sense, for um, overselling it. That was the feeling of this article. And I have to say, I do agree. Yeah. Um, but then, Kai, do you, how do you think sort of things have changed after that? Because after a year, Britain seems to be much more angry and fractious in its debate. So with protests and so much more. It, it's true. All of the times that I've, I've been writing about Brexit and all I've spoken to people kind of on the street about it there's a there's a real mix between people who are extremely passionate about it still and people who wish no one would ever say the word Brexit hmm. kind of ever again and that that possibly feeds into those people who say we don't want a second referendum because we'd never ever hear the end of this hmm. but also those people who are are still quite passionate about the road we're going down and aren't really sure that anyone actually has a clue where where we are hmm. but then, Philip um, how passionate are you about the road we're going down um, I'm passionate about the about the long-term outcome of leaving the European Union. Um, the detail of the technical details of the specific negotiations, I can understand that people. Um, but how smooth would be is the road we're going down? Do you think it's quite rocky? Are we going to get there? Is it going to all be worth it in the end, or is it you know? Hang on, just stop moaning, everyone. What's no, it? I think. I mean, I think it has to be worth it and will be worth it in the end. I mean, it was always inevitably going to be a rocky road, hmm. and Article 50 in particular was designed specifically with that in mind to keep the EU sticking together. So um, it was going to be rocky, but I think ultimately it was and still is the right thing to do. And I think um, quite the opposite. I mean, I'm quite heartened by the changes that I've seen in Britain since. Um, you see political renewal. Um, political awakening among a younger generation and for the first time in a long time I think people can talk in terms of uh, genuine political choices between the parties and those are all um, either indirectly or directly effects of Brexit and those are positive things. Do you feel politically awakened then? Do you feel there's a new politics we now live in? I I don't think I agree. I think we've just got 
kind of a continuation of this dialogue of everyone getting even more shouty on both sides or just not caring whatsoever. And, I mean, so at Rights Info, we do kind of a lot of work on how to actually engage people to talk constructively with each other. And I feel like it's actually got a lot harder since Brexit because people just don't even want to engage with each other in kind of a sensible way anymore. There's no kind of middle ground where people want to actually constructively talk. Mm. And then what were the constructive talks? So there's a lot of um, things are harder than it may first seem. You know, obviously John Redwood and co used to say it was easy, quick and simple, bish, bash, bosh, Brexit, done. You know, but then so with the challenges, Julia, do you think that we're... It's, it's going to be unsatisfactory, people seem to be saying. Um, but, and obviously, Brexiteers get furious about, you know, Ramona's out to sabotage the will of the people. And, you know, everyone's shouting a lot about that. They're not really, do you think? They're just they're quite parliamentary scrutiny. They, it's good natured. There's no malicious shenanigans in a sense. It's all going to be fine. I mean, what's your... I think actually within Parliament, it's probably more civil than it is elsewhere. I Mm. remember I was on a panel in uh, York and it reminded me a bit of this after the math of the Scottish referendum where people really it cut through communities and I saw the same thing in York where people were shouting at each other across the room you know you know you're uh, you're the one who's hounding my friend hmm. um, and I've also seen it at conferences where EU citizens stand up and say I feel completely isolated in this community and I think it is just as deeply felt as the Scottish referendum, but not maybe in in a more geographically concentrated way. The thing about the Scottish referendum is it really cut through almost every community. Mm. Um, I think EU citizens in particular, I've heard this from all different levels of society, are feeling very isolated and upset right now. But then do, is that the fault of communication from the government, basically? Because they've tried to say, we'll keep it, everyone safe, it'll be fine. And then it doesn't seem to be being heard. Well, I think the problem is, is that there is no clear solution to what you do with three million people who may or may not have been in the country continuously but have spouses here have worked here there isn't the home office as it is doesn't deal very well with immigration problems so why on earth would anyone trust them to have a streamlined approach in future Hmm. and the fact it's taken a year to offer something which almost everyone recognizes has to be offered because the uk is not going to eject three million people um has added to that sense of distrust because hmm. then it seems kind of that there is the, there are all these uh, spectres being waved around you know oh, people might be sort of deported if there's no deal and then, oh the security arrangements are going to suffer everything is going to go wrong in that way I mean do you feel that it's just that we do love to scaremonger like the evening standard the other day had the hospital Brexit will give you cancer maybe you know, <laughs> nuclear safeguards will go wrong I mean do you have faith in officials thinking it, it, it's not? There's not going to be some horrendous well, it doesn't, Chernobyl like it, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't necessarily come down to faith in officials and people thinking, oh, all governments are incompetent. It yes. just comes down to the fact that nobody during the referendum campaign they all talked about what will happen after Brexit, but mm. didn't really talk very much about this getting extremely there. prolonged period of getting towards Brexit. Mm. And there are there are, I mean, even in the kind of Great Repeal Bill as it's known going through, there are possibly about a thousand changes that are going to be needed to be made Hmm. and someone's made the point that not only have we got to talk about trade and security we've got to talk about what what happens to the pet passport scheme how will we work out whether the dogs and cats can move freely that's next week's argument well exactly (laughs) the thousands of things that have got to go through I mean look how long it took to negotiate the competence supply deal with the DUP and that was with kind of sort of 10 MPs from your own country Hmm. and now we've got to it's not so much saying the government's incapable because all governments are awful it's just the fact that their resources in terms of personnel and time and money are finite Hmm. and the scale of this in what is it 20 months or something is absolutely vast I mean it's just that it's going to swallow 
all of this time and resources. And, and meanwhile, one of the concerns I think a lot of people had, regardless of ideology during the campaign, was the knowledge that everything else that we need to deal with in this country, from housing to healthcare, is on the back burner because hmm. we've got to devote all of this time to, to, to Brexit. Well, indeed. And obviously, part of the Great Repeal Bill uh, legislation involves Henry VIII clauses. And, Jem, <laughs> I remember you had put a video out the other day on sort of what it means, what, what, what the impact is and the significance. I mean, uh, if, you look, if you talk to sort of open Britain and the remain and sort of such like, they would imply that it's, you know, we're going back to the Tudor times. It's almost a sort of dictatorship in a sense. I mean, like, well, what's, what's the worry here? What, what's, the, what's the danger? I mean, first of all, it is just a little bit bonkers, isn't it, that we're talking about um, a monarch that died about 400 years ago. Um, so, I mean, the, the whole discourse... I mean, can you not reel off his wives? It's, it's something that, you know, beheaded, divorced, <sighs> divorced died. Divorced, beheaded, died, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a cultural impact, you know, it's a revival. <laughs> I jest. I jest. Anyway. No, no, no. I mean, th- there is kind of a serious question at, at the heart of this, and I think we've kind of got two competing things here, is that... As we've kind of touched on, we've been part of the European community for 40 years, and so there's a massive, massive, massive amount of kind of laws that we need to do something with. We can't just get rid of them. Mm. But at the same time, we've got, what, 20 months? How do we do this? But then there's that balancing act with, we need to scrutinise this somehow, and if we're kind of bypassing Parliament... Mm. I mean, to be honest, this is another one of those things where I just feel like we don't really have the answers. We've got this kind of proposal on the table to kind of skirt a little bit of scrutiny but I still don't really feel that it's given us any proper answers mm. and then Philip um, I wonder if you have some answers on the matter of appealing to your academic brief here on international relations because obviously they, they, it is suggested and during the referendum campaign it was suggested that you know if we leave the European Union Britain would not be able to fight terror so well because Europol would suffer and there would be sort of arrangements well people say yeah, we, we work with them through NATO and other things you know our international relations are how are they going to hold up over Brexit um, I think there'll be, I mean, in the long run, I think it'll be fine. Even in the medium run, there will be turbulence and disruption. And a lot of it is down to how effective um, our leaders are and what kind of vision they have for the aftermath of Brexit. I mean, there's so the focus at the moment, both in... But do you think Brexit will be better for some international comp- cooperation? I think, I think Brexit will be better for Britain in the long run, which is to say, I mean, so um, whether or not Britain kind of maintains um, a seat at the top table and continues kind of strutting around the world stage, needing to um, solve everyone's problems or be involved in all the various um, complexities that, say, America is involved in, hmm. I think it's a great opportunity for Britain to step back from this kind of imperial role and to focus internally on um, the internal kind of renewal that's needed at home. So I think that is the great opportunity of Brexit, and that doesn't need to come at the expense of our international linkages or um, the possibilities for international trade, but it does require um, some political honesty Mm. and a willingness to trim our sails, and I think that would be a positive boon of Brexit. And do you agree, Kaya? Do you think it's right that we'd be coming back in, or was it quite sad that the sort of... We used to have an empire, and all oh, that happened. No. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm certainly not calling for any return to sort of imperialism. I don't think mm. it's a bad thing to act less imperially. But in terms of, it depends your... I was going to start talking about the Britannia yacht. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a whole other debate, that yeah. one. Um, but it depends on your view on various problems. I mean, ha- how much you take the fact that we live in a globalised world and whether it comes, for example, to dealing with the terror threat. Mm. And is that something on which you actually have to work together internationally with partners because... Think things people are crossing borders and in terms of both the logistics physically as well as in terms of the policies and trade all of these are sorts of things where perhaps there's a a sense to working as a as a block 
And so it's difficult. I mean, I've heard people say, apparently, um, um, source in the Canadian government said they'd found Britain to be more inward looking. But then it depends on your point of view, whether you take that as a as a sort of compliment or as an insult. And it depends on how you work with other countries to kind of solve the problems that we have at home. Mm. And then, Julia, um, obviously, with the New Statesman, it's a, sort of the Bible of the left. And I remember that there was a protest. Uh, John Elledge, who was on the show the other week, and yeah. he was saying how, you know, the, the Corbynites, Corbynistas were out there demanding, what, 30 pages of coverage on, on them and Jeremy and why he's good. His, his party's been curious, because obviously, yeah, people like my paper, The Telegraph, we scoffed at him and said, how, he has no plan on Brexit, it's clearly going to go wrong, and how dare... And yet, it sort of survived, this kind of pretending to be pro-Brexit in the North, anti-Brexit in the South, sort of worked for them. I mean, how long do you think that's going to happen? Yeah, firstly, I just want to say on the question of the empire, I think that's really interesting what Philip says, because what I've seen mostly from Brexiteers is a lot of nostalgia for the empire. Hmm. And uh, to mention my colleague John Elledge, he's done a lot on Daniel Hannan and this talk about the Anglosphere, which seems a kind of, you know, empire 2.0 or something like that. Hmm. But um, yeah, on Corbyn, um, yeah, I think he's he's very successfully been all things to all people. And I think anyone who says that you know, 80% of people voted for a Brexit-supporting party misses that fact. A lot of young people did vote for their Labour MP who put, you know, my local MP was um, Catherine West. Her, one of her big messages was that she voted against Article 50. Um, Keir Starmer did a speech at the start of the campaign that I went to that, I mean, it said, we want to stay in the single market. And by some of this, the substance might have been there, but the style was very pro-European hmm. and I think if you look at the people behind Corbyn you see two factions you see one that's very comfortable with the idea of staying as close to the EU as possible that's um, I think Keir Starmer just by his background suggests that he's in that camp um, and then you have people like John McDonnell who you know would very happily take us out of the single market I think it's market. a capitalist construct yeah, straight and, away yeah. and, and Corbyn himself a lot of Leave voters have said to me that they saw hmm. Corbyn as a guy who was you know forced into this Remainer role that he never felt comfortable but, but then in. But it surely is quite uncomfortable, I mean, uncomfortable for the party in general. I mean, because people mm. say the Tories are really, you know, they, they've got a good run. Yeah. They were the, sort of the hipsters on Brexit splits. You know, they did it before it was cool. And then Labour, it seems like it's about to come at some point. Because, for example, later in, after this, I'll be talking to Ben Bradshaw, and he's very much a passionate pro-single market, pro-sort of uh, customs union, staying in these things. And yet he, you know, he, he and the other Labour rebels, Chucker and Munner and co, they were slapped down and uh, reprimanded. Well, I think <laughs> actually... In a way, Labour's had a horrible year. It's hmm. divided among itself. But actually, in some ways, that has allowed some of the passion of the argument to be aired. So, you know, this time last year, we had half of the Labour frontbench resign because of the EU referendum. Hmm. And I think most Labour MPs have realised that their constituents feel very differently from them. And they've come to a set of priorities, what they want, what they don't want. Um, for some of them, like Clive Lewis, he, he ended up resigning from his post rather than vote for Article 50. But, you know, other people have come to a more nuanced view. So I do think it is reflected further down the party, although you still have, as I say, these factions within mm. it. Well, finally, um, if I could ask uh, Jem to give a sort of summing up point on this. Like, what, what should we be, how, how should we be feeling about the Brexit process then for the rest of the you know, 20 months that are remain? Are you positive or excited? Finally, Independence Day is coming. Or what's, what's your conclusion? On all this discussion, I feel, I feel like I it, we need to still think. I think the focus for all of us, whatever side of the debate we're on, I think is to try and be constructive in the way that we talk to people. It's going to be a long, it's going to be a long road. We don't really know where we're going. We don't really know a lot right now. Mm. Um, but I think the most important thing is to stop this kind of polarizing effect where people don't talk constructively with each other. And I, yeah, 
Yeah. That well, would be well, my overarching message. Let's all be lovely to each other. Exactly. I think it's been a <laughs> lovely discussion. And thank you very much for being constructive, everyone. And so that was Philip Cunliffe, Kai Burgess, uh, Julia Rampen and Jem Collins, uh, all in the studio and sort of chin-wagging uh, as best as they can. Thank you very much. Talking Brexit and then some. Okay, but goodbye for now. And so coming up next, I will be speaking to Ben Bradshaw, Labour MP for Exeter. But, you know, before that, sort of I just wanted to sort of take you through uh, you know, a few sort of things about Brexit and how they've gone recently. Foobar Radio presents. Foobar Radio presents. Politics on Foobar. And so, yes, you were hearing in the studio that, uh, you know, from Julia about how the, there's a sort of interesting attitude among the Brexiteers and uh, the Labourites in the party, because, you know, Ben Bradshaw, sort of, he'll be around to sort of speak on these things shortly. Um, and it's a curious attitude in the party because he's very much single market pro. And, uh, you know, incidentally, given that he's, uh, we're just going to get him on the line shortly. So, actually, given I've got the pleasure of still having our guest in the studio, um, I might have to sort of say that, Julia, you know, what question should I be asking? Ben when he's on the line I think what you just asked to me is a good one because mm. Ben is seen as sometimes the last Blairite standing mm. um, he, he's a lovely guy very well respected by um, the other MPs but I would say that his position is probably not where the centre of the party is right now mm. Um, mm. so maybe ask him you know whether he thinks his position will become common again or whether he's you I mean, know do found you, himself do you in think he's going to be leading and, and obviously they're going to appeal to everyone yeah. here imagining Emmanuel Macron or that do you think he might be the Macron of Britain well, he, he's a lovely guy, so um, I would wish him all the best <laughs> if he did. But I, I suspect that I, when I last spoke to him, he was very focused on his constituency. Sure. Well, in that case, uh, speaking of you know the constituency man himself, I've got Ben Bradshaw on the line. Sort of, hello, Ben. Ben, can you hear me? Oh. What did I say? I don't know. Oh, man. Are you there, Ben? I think, well, he clearly was just too overly flattered for the moment uh, to be compared to Macron, so he may have fainted in the line. We're <laughs> going to get him back anyway. Um, but needless to say, yes, because do we think a sort of centrist split is possible then? For, you know, or would it just be kind of every party's in the go? Kai, what's your take? Well, I mean, every party's so split that if everyone splits along the lines where they are on this, we're going to end up with about 50 different parties and, and everyone fragmenting and, and mm. no one having any idea where they're going, really. It depends on... It depends on the degree to which people in individual parties feel the ability to still plough their own furrow or sort of speak out against what the party's saying. I mean, Corbyn obviously is someone who has a history of being something of a rebel, so perhaps people in the party feel free to rebel against his well, line. I'm going to see if the man uh, sort of who felt free to rebel against Corbyn's line is on the line. Uh, ben Bradshaw, are you there? Yes, hello, Ada. How are you? Oh, very well. It's wonderful to hear from you. We were just um, we've got the studio panel here, all talking about uh, you and how you might be the sort of the Macron of Exeter, and so um, you know <laughs> if you might be sort of maybe in looks or perhaps in politics anyway. So it's good to have you here. Now, I, I'm kind of wondering, um, how are you doing in the Labour Party these days? Uh, well, I think uh, anything is possible. I think we were all delighted to uh, have a surprisingly good election result and deprive the. Uh, conservatives of a majority mm. and that means we can achieve things we had a great result on abortion rights for northern irish women we had another good result on uh the blood uh, contamination issue last week i hope we'll get something on organ donation fairly soon but and on what brexit, about on I brexit? Think it, yeah yes well i think on brexit it does mean uh, that we can stop the extreme destructive brexit that mrs may had set uh, her heart on uh, and certainly i think there's a good chance that we'll stay in the customs union and the single uh, market, which will be Jeremy great. Jeremy Corbyn doesn't agree with you, though. But, but well, I, do you know, I think, I think our position on, on that may well move. Mm. Uh, it's very interesting uh, what he said after his meeting yesterday 
uh, with a group of European socialists in Brussels, but also after his discussions with Barnier. Because in the end, if Labour and we are serious about having a Brexit uh, that is a jobs Brexit and that works for the economy, mm. the logic of that is that we have to stay in the single market and the customs union because anything less than that will be devastating. But then why, the do, why do you think it will move? Only because uh, there were front benches he had to sack for who voted with you and Chakramana. So he doesn't have much sympathy, he didn't then. Well, I, I, it, I, I think that there will be pressure from the trade union movement. We already saw Manuel Cortes, uh, the general secretary of the TSSA this week, coming out uh, with a very strongly worded statement. I think the Labour grassroots, don't forget, the vast majority of Labour members and Labour voters, including those who supported Jeremy for the leadership last year, mm. are very, very against a hard Brexit. So I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you saw the Labour position move. And I think we've got a clear majority in the House of Commons mm. now to stop Theresa May's hard but, but Brexit, w- which w- is great. Would it really happen? Because Emily Thornbury said that you and your colleagues were virtue signalling by vote, doing that vote. No, I disagree with that. I think it was really important that, I mean, first of all, that I and, and the rest, certainly the rest of my colleagues I know who voted for the Single Market and Customs Union Amendment have always made clear to our constituents that we're in favour of staying in the Single Market and the Customs Union. So mm. I think to do anything else I would have been dishonest when it came to being accountable to our own, uh, own electorate. But I think it was really important... But then Tom Watson when, thought or, you were dividing when, the party. No, because when, when, when the latest opinion polls show uh, a clear majority of people want to stay in the single market in the customs union, someone has to speak up for them in mm. Parliament. Someone has to represent them, because up until now they haven't been represented, they haven't had the spokespeople. I think that's now changing. Mm, but then obviously, and you spoke up well in your, in your brief, and that's why naturally you were returned with, with a bigger majority in Exeter. But then, I mean, I can't help still being sceptical about the, sort of, the sympathy that the leadership has for your, your sort of uh, argument, because again, you accused, Thornbury said you were virtue signalling, Tom, uh, t- sorry, Tom Watson accused you of you know, dividing the party, you and your colleagues. So you know, it, it, the plates aren't moving, though. No, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that's fair, and I don't agree with that, with that analysis. Mm. Uh, those of us who have argued for single market and customs union membership have been completely consistent all the way uh, along, mm. and I think that's where we will end up. And in the end, when you have a, a newly elected parliament with, with neither of the main parties with the majority, neither mm. in a position to implement their manifestos, everything has changed. And it's important in a democracy that we have people in parliament who are representing the views of most people who now say they want us to stay in the single market. Absolutely. And the customs union. Otherwise, otherwise, I think people will get disillusioned with democracy. And in the grown-up politics we now live in, obviously cooperation's meant to happen. So maybe for the final question, can I ask, because uh, Stephen Kinnock, a colleague of yours, told um, one of my colleagues, actually, Christopher Hope, that he'd been talking to about 15, at least, Tory MPs about a sort of common-sense coalition to have a sort of EEA, single-market-type Brexit. Um, have you been having dialogue with uh, Tory MPs? And how has yes, it been we, going? Yes, we've got a very successful and a very big all-party group set up by Chukra and Muna and Anna Subri, uh, the all-party group for EU relations. I think there'll be far more uh, than the number you've just quoted to me of Conservative MPs who, in the end, will mm. not want to see the destruction and the damage to our economy that a hard Brexit would bring. So I'm very optimistic. How high do you think the number could get? I beg your pardon? How high could the number sort of get? Because obviously you talk to them in the tea room, you know informally what they feel. Well, I, I think as businesses in these Conservative MPs' constituencies make so clear to them what the impact would be of a hard Brexit or even worse, mm. falling out of the EU with no deal at all, I think you'll see more and more Conservative MPs plucking up the courage to do what they know is right for their constituents and for our, for our economy. And I, th- I mean, it, it, it's absolutely clear to me that there's a majority against the hard Brexit now in Parliament. All right. Well, fascinating. Thank you very much for your time, Ben. Thank you. 
And so that was Ben Bradshaw, MP for Exeter and a chief supporter of Open Britain. Well, uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. Um, this is the final one I'll be presenting on FUBAR, and conveniently on Brexit anyway. And so I think it, the only way I can really finish the show is uh, via a musical number, definitely. Dora, not, and obviously the guests who are still in the studio are not going to be inflicted with my singing, rest assured. Instead, it's that there's only one song that can summarise, you know, my own presence here and also what Britain effectively is saying to the European Union as it's on its way out. And I think... I think it's best expressed by the Von Trapps. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.